The following episode contains recreated scenes based on FBI investigative reports, wiretaps, and suspect interviews. The episode also contains actual recordings of telephone conversations between an undercover informant and his FBI handler. My name is Donald J. Sadawi. February 26, 1993, I was working as a bomb technician in the NYPD bomb squad. The FBI had agents flying in from all over the country. The bosses said, how about we get an exploratory team to go down, photograph, take swab samples, get a sketch artist. Well, you know, Sadawi's been going up and down there. You know, he's like a groundhog. Maybe he could lead a team. I says, okay. So I led the team down a ramp right there on West Street. And at the bottom, there were no floors left. I mean, gone. They were pulverized. I take them to an area that was like a shelf, this broken slab, and it's only being held on by rebar. And it's angled down toward the opening of the crater. You're looking down five levels. Jesus, this, this is no walk in the park. If you fell down into that, that huge crater, you're talking about four or five stories. It's dark, cold. What I'm seeing now on this ledge are these burnt, twisted pieces of metal. I recognize it as a piece of chassis frame. You know if you took a piece of licorice candy and you twisted it up? That's what this piece of chassis frame looked like. It was twisted. Twisted and broken off. This is late in the day. And I said, hold this up and hold the portal light. It's about four and a half feet long, about 35, 40 pounds. And I take my glove off and I take my thumb on my right hand and I gently put it inside and I start feeling around to see if there's anything there. Listen, there's a thing called confidential vehicle identification numbers and they're stamped by the manufacturer in the factory with the hidden VIN number. Holy crap, I could feel this. L-H-M, three letters. It, it almost feels like Braille. Then there's like maybe 12 numbers. And then it ends in a star shape. I smile. I said, this is it. This has to be from the vehicle that brought the bomb in. I'm Mark Smerling, and you're listening to Operation Trade Bomb an Apple original podcast produced by Truth Media in partnership with Brillstein Entertainment Partners. Who are these people that tried to kill me? As I looked up, there was a yellow van about 60 feet away from me. It blew up basically in my face. Looks like a bomb. It smells like a bomb. It's probably a bomb. Mohammed Salama wanted to marry my sister someday. We have one nice picture of Salome and my nemesis, actually, Mahmoud Abu-Halima, holding the AK-47 in the Calvertin, Long Island, on a public range. I disagree about what these people doing. They think that bombing the World Trade Center is a good thing to do. 
Ahmad was afraid that when we locked these people up, they were going to say, Ahmad who? So forget it. Forget the whole damn shit. No. I swear to God. Come on. I swear to God, John. During those 90 days that I was out is when my boss fired him. In past episodes, FBI Special Agent John Anisev and NYPD Detective Louis Napoli were tracking a terrorist cell in New York City. But their investigation hit a wall when their supervisor fired their undercover operative. His name was Ahmad Salem. Now, a bomb just exploded beneath the World Trade Center. Detective Napoli was back in New York's Joint Terrorism Task Force headquarters when a call came in from the FBI lab. A piece of chassis frame had been recovered from the bomb site. It may have come from the vehicle that delivered the bomb. I was at my desk, uh, uh, which was on the other side of Supervisor Neil Herman. He had like a wall with his little cubicle. The VIN number came into Neil, and he like he said, Louie, run the VIN. So I ran, I run the VIN. I says, whoa. Meanwhile, Agent Anisev was at Kennedy Airport. One of the claims of uh, responsibility came from the Serbians. So I was at the airport waiting for a plane to come in from somewhere with a bunch of Serbians on it. And my beeper was going off, uh, was Louie. And it was like 911, 911, 911 after his number, which means call right away. So I called, and Louis says, John, forget your Serbs. This is not the Serbs. I said, what do you mean? Come in. It's ours. He goes, it's us. There was a rider, van, came back that it was rented in Jersey City, and it was rented by Mohammed Salome. The people that were at the uh, firearms range were, this is Kabbalima, Salome, the whole caboodle. And it was Muhammad Salome. And then all I remember was that feeling you get when something bad happens, like you get that tingly feeling and you're like, your eyes, you know, constrict. So I'm starting to think about who all the accomplices would be. Friggin' Mahmoud Abu Halima, where is he? He felt like he wanted to cry in that, like, uh, shortness of breath, you know? Like, it all just came to me. Really? Our guys did it? Anisev and Napoli had been tracking Mohammed Salome and Mahmoud Abolima ever since the murder of a radical rabbi in midtown Manhattan. Now, they knew that Mohammed Salome had rented the van used to deliver a bomb beneath the World Trade Center. It was that same day that Paul Mascatelli, the manager of a rider rental facility in Jersey City, got a telephone call. This guy kept on calling me that his truck got stolen and he left a cash deposit and he wanted his money back. It was bizarre, but he kept on calling. So I called up Ryder, I says, what do you want me to do with this guy? And they said, he has to bring a police report first before you can give him the money back. I called the guy up. I just told him, get the police report, get me a copy of it. I set up an appointment for him to come in the morning the next day. And then the FBI contacted me. The next morning, an FBI agent posing as a rider employee took his place behind the counter next to Mascatelli and they waited. So the guy came in, 
He was like a rough cut kind of guy, uh, not dressed up. I'm with the um, loss prevention unit at a riot. There's a lot of cars stolen in New Jersey, but maybe you can help us. If I can just get some information. Let me get your name. Is it uh, Muhammad? M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D. How do you say your last name? My last name is Salame. Sal... Oh, okay. Sal... You could see that he was nervous guy, the guy Mohammed, the salami guy, whatever his name was. Okay, where was it stolen? Shoprite? Yeah, for 40, Shoprite for 40. See, uh, look, this is the receipt of the shopping. Let me write this down. Now, how many packages did you have? Uh, three, ba- three bags, three small, small. Three bags, three bags full, sort of like a ba- ba- black sheep, have you any wool? When I tell you, he was insistent about the money. I mean, he wanted it. Okay, based on that, we're willing to go as high as $200 to settle a claim. It's not justice. Well, but it is business. I know business, uh, but but, uh, I need justice, some justice. Right. But you've lost our van. I gave him the $200. I had him sign some papers, and that was it. Okay, well, that's it. We're done. Our business here ended at 10, then 28 on March 4th, 1993. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. This is, uh, I see this as justice. The guy walked out the front door, and it was mayhem. There were FBI agents all over the place. They had the jackets on where they pull them down and it has FBI written across it and they all had guns. And they grabbed the guy, threw him in the back of a van that pulled up, threw him in the van, I mean like tossed him in, and they were gone. Thursday, a man came to the agency, told his story to undercover investigators, and then left with a partial refund. FBI agents arrested Salami about a block away. It didn't take long for the FBI to figure out where Mohammed Salame lived. A small apartment in Jersey City. Agents searched that apartment and found an airplane ticket stub. It was for the original flight that Ramzi Yusuf took from Pakistan to JFK Airport when he came into the country. This was the first time the FBI knew the name, Ramzi Yusuf. But they hadn't figured out that Ramzi Yusuf had escaped the country, to a part of the world where the FBI had no jurisdiction and had never been before. The border regions between Afghanistan and Pakistan. He was a ghost. In Lower Manhattan, a square of light burns in an otherwise darkened office building. The FBI's New York City bureau chief has called a meeting. Anna Seven and Napoli are there. Their supervisor, the one who fired their undercover operative, Ahmad Salem, is also there. And so is United States Attorney Mary Jo White. 
I remember uh, Mary Jo White from the Southern District asking questions like, didn't we have a source in there? And we're explaining to uh, Mary Jo, uh, you know, Limon and what happened, and they let him go. And, and she says to us, well, where is he now? Can we get him back? And the assistant special agent in charge, who was in charge of the money, says, he's going to want a lot of money. He's going to probably want a million dollars. And Mary Jo says, I don't give a fuck what he wants. Give it to him. Just get him back. I reached out to Imad and uh, and we spoke. I just felt bad about what happened before. Yeah. I, I keep imagining it. I'm still in. They told me this and that. You are informed. The day and the time, bomb, lock them up, and that's it. Yeah. It just didn't happen. His reaction was vindication, you know. And he really played it up. You know, I told you guys. And nobody listened. I'm not being judgmental, but I'm being frustrated for these stupid idiot people to play these shit games in the country. And you gotta imagine how much disasters would be created if the World Trade Center collapsed. And then what I didn't like what he did, he made some self-serving statements while he's recording us. So I need to talk to... Uh, uh, the head of the FBI, because the information I supplied, it, it was valuable enough to save the country's ass from this bomb. He was still angry at the Bureau. He still thought he was going to get screwed. I just wanted to keep him happy. It really wasn't an uh, outrageous uh, amount of money that he was asking for. He was working almost 16 hours a day, and he said that he would wear a wire this time, and uh, we redesignated him as a, uh, like a cooperating witness. I want to defend this country. I don't want this country to be harmed. I'm willing to do any kind of work to help this case and to help to, to, to solve this case. The search goes on for clues, suspects, and justice in the bombing at New York's Twin Towers skyscrapers. Mahmoud Abu Halima, now considered a suspect, is a cab driver who may have fled to Pakistan after the bombing. Hello? Hi. Hi. I'm again. Uh, any more news on, uh, any more news on uh, Abu Halima? He's hiding and uh, I'm not sure if he's out of the country or not. I believe that he was identified as one of the people who went there and also maybe as one of the guys who helped fill the truck up with gas that morning. Yeah. So it's very important to, uh, to get him back. Did, did, did you ever get that phone number for Abu Halima? I have a phone number here, one second. Okay, uh, can, I, can I ask how you got this? Yes, of course, his brother. Ahmad said, I went through his pockets and I found the phone number for where he's staying. And he gave me the phone number. And I gave the number to the Bureau. They gave it to the you know, CIA. They gave it to the Egyptians. Uh, all what I know that um, they uh, arrested Abu Halima. They what? They arrested Mahmoud Abu Halima. They did? Yeah. Where? The Egyptian FBI. He's over there? Correct. You're kidding me. I am not playing, John. <laughs> I am not playing. 
I know you're not playing. That's just an expression. That's uh, yeah. No, I know. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Uh, he went to Cairo to visit his relatives, and he have his children, his wife, and everybody. The Egyptian FBI picked him up from over there. My advice: you must bring him back immediately. You wanna talk serious, guys? Two agents must take next flight, and the State Department must contact immediately the Egyptian authority and confirm he must not be tortured because they will be hanging him upside down right now. I flew over to Egypt where Abu Halimah is. We landed so far from the airport, you couldn't even see the terminals. Seven o'clock in the morning, it's like 110 degrees. And all of a sudden, here comes this car, dust flying all over the place. They pull up to the plane, they open up the door, they throw them out, door shut, they go off. And we bring him up on the plane. He's wrapped up like a mummy, his face, and he's stung from high heaven. And we set him down, and we take off the, the wraps. He sees me and says, oh, he says, thank God it's you, Louis, because they, they were brutal. They, uh, they had uh, cigarette burns all over. They brought his brother in. They wouldn't talk. Then they brought his mother in, and they strapped her over a log. They brought in a German shepherd, and he, the German shepherd mounted his mother, and he gave up the, whatever the hell he gave him. Thirty-three-year-old Mahmoud Abu Halima is en route, airborne, and headed here from Egypt. Mohammed Salome and Mahmoud Abu Halima were now in custody. The JTTF would arrest other conspirators connected with the bombing, but Anisev and Napoli still didn't know who the mastermind was. What they did know was that all the conspirators frequented a mosque in Jersey City to hear a blind imam preaching jihad against the West. Back home, Anisev gets a call from his undercover operative. Hello? I have a funny feeling, and I'm entitled to say my feelings because I'm not an ordinary person. I am not an ordinary person. Oh. I had trained to work with these people. Okay, I have a feeling. I don't know if there is a surveillance on uh, Omar, Dr. Omar Abrahman or not. The blind preacher Sheikh Omar Abdel Rahman, who worshiped with the World Trade Center suspects. Authorities suspect the Sheikh's third-story mosque is really more of a headquarters for a political cell. That's next time on Operation Trade Bomb. So now we started looking into Rockman. Did Rockman, you know, instigate this thing? I wish I, I wish I could catch him doing something criminal right now. You know, it's really getting very complicated now. That's not Islam, that's shit, and that's very dangerous. Sometimes he would call, he was so nervous, you know, almost like crying sometimes, trying, trying to keep him focused. Just get it done right. It's not gonna done by screwing my life up. Because to protect the country, it's not necessary to screw my life up. We are smarter than that. 
Operation Trade Bomb is an Apple original podcast produced by Truth Media in partnership with Brillstein Entertainment Partners. Zach Goldbaum is our senior producer. This episode of Operation Trade Bomb was produced by Kenny Kusiak, Alexa Burke, Michael May, Meher Ahmad, and Alessandro Santoro. Story editing is by me, Mark Smerling. John Liebman is our executive producer. Scott Curtis is our production manager. Bridget Busa is our associate producer. Sound design is by Kenny Kusiak with help from Alexa Burke and Alessandro Santoro. George Draping Hicks did the mix. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Our title track is Momentum by Kenny Kusiak. Voice acting by Nick Dietz and Ali Al-Faraj. Production legal by Ryan Nord and Matthew Papa at the Nord Group. Legal review by Linda Steinman, Abigail Everdell, and Alison Cherie at Davis Wright Tremaine. Fact-checking by Dania Suleiman. The production would like to thank Nuha Musla, Amr Latif, Ruhan Ahmed, Latisha Naidu, Ahmed Fateha, Hiba Afifi, Juan Bernardo Custodio, and Evan Pishan. Please listen and follow on Apple Podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to write a review.